Blog Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Well, hello there, and welcome to today's program. Um, Great to have you with me again. Um, We do this every week, and um, we get together for 45 minutes to talk about um, how to understand and help kids with social and emotional and behavioral challenges, and we do not do it the traditional way because, um, well, that's not really working for a lot of the kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges out there. So here it lies in the balance and the collaborative problem-solving territories. Um, we help people view challenging kids through different lenses and intervene in ways that are completely different than um, what often goes on out there. And, of course, the goal is to change what often goes on out there because um, it's often not working for the kids who I worry about the most. So I'm delighted that you have chosen to uh, spend a little time with me today. Uh, If you're listening live, that's fantastic. If you're listening to the archive uh, version of this, also outstanding. Uh, If you have a question or comment, well, the call-in number is 347-994-2981. If no one calls in, I'm going to get through this massive stack of email that I have uh, been receiving and um, I suppose haven't been responding to quickly enough because even though I try to respond to as many questions as possible each week, the number uh, grows rather than shrinks. Um, But um, things that people do call in about sometimes, uh, well, they may be having trouble understanding why their kid is challenging. They may be wondering if collaborative problem solving is applicable to their kid. Maybe their kid has a particular diagnosis. Maybe their kid has a certain uh, developmental delay. Maybe their kid is a certain age. Um, Generally speaking, as you've learned by listening to this program, that doesn't rule out much of anything. None of those things do. Um, Other things people call in about, they're they're having trouble um, being proactive. They're having trouble doing plan B. They're having trouble getting other folks to view their child through collaborative problem-solving lenses and intervene in the ways in which we talk about on this program. Those, you know, There's lots of other things people call in about, but this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. That call-in number, again, 347-994-2981. And if you're not the calling-in type, feel free to send me a question electronically, as many people do, through the 
contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. Um, what was I just going to say? Uh, that's all about how a lot of people are doing it. Oh, I wanted to remind you that uh, next week is our parents' panel, which is about as fun as it gets. Uh, next week I will be joined by the uh, four parents who usually join me, um, and we will talk about life with a kid with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. All four have or have have one in their home or have had one in their home, and um, it's usually a good time. Uh, for today, uh, as we do not have any callers at this particular moment, I'm going to start answering email questions. Uh, here's one that uh, I received uh, last week. Dr. Green, I feel strongly that my daughter has part-time ODD. Now, there's there's somebody who has either been to one of my talks or that's somebody who must have heard me speak lately because I don't know of anybody who refers to it as part-time ODD, ODD being oppositional defiant disorder. And um, you know me. I don't find diagnoses to be terribly useful. Mostly I don't find them to be terribly informative, and ODD is number one on the list of diagnoses that I don't find to be terribly informative. As you know, I think diagnoses mostly tell us what a kid is doing that we don't like when he's looking bad. And in the case of kids diagnosed with ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, um, well, they're probably uh, throwing a tantrum, screaming at us, uh, falling on the floor, um, crying, oppositional defiant disorder. That just tells us what they do, but it doesn't tell us anything about what lagging skills and unsolved problems are setting that stuff in motion. Nothing. So this uh, emailer is referring to part-time ODD because what I often say these days is that I, I noticed at some point along the way that kids with ODD aren't uh, throwing tantrums every second of every waking hour. They're throwing tantrums sometimes under some conditions in response in the parlance of collaborative problem solving to certain unsolved problems, which means they must not have full-time ODD. They only have part-time ODD. And, of course, saying that they have ODD helps us forget the fact that it takes two to tango. Saying that a kid has ODD makes it sound like the problem resides within the kid. Saying that the kid has ODD pathologizes the kid. It takes two to tango. Why is the kid the one with the diagnosis? I understand he's lacking crucial cognitive skills, but the diagnosis of ODD doesn't tell us anything about that. I find diagnoses to primarily be distracting because they make us focus on behavior. They make us focus exclusively on the kid, and it's always a lot more complicated than that. I agree. The kid has his part in the school play, but so do the folks who are placing demands on him for skills that he's lacking. All right, I'll continue with this email. See how see how easily distracted I am? Uh, I feel strongly that my daughter has part-time ODD. She is a really good girl until I ask her to do something that she does not want to do. When we try to discipline her for disrespect or defiance, it does not seem to sink in. And she shows some remorse until we do something that she does not like. I'm taking it that we're talking there about adult-imposed consequences. She screams and cries. We have resorted to providing a safe room where the door locks and she can't crawl out the window. We put her in there when she's out of control and 
try to go in every ten minutes to see if she's ready to join the family and be happy again. Anyway, you must hear this all the time. We are at a loss on how to get through. I do hear about this all the time. Um, so I'll keep this short. Um, locking your daughter in her room is not going to help you view her through the right lenses. Lagging skills. Your daughter is lacking crucial cognitive skills. Those are the lenses you want to put on. And um, if you want to read a book about that, you might want to pick up a copy of The Explosive Child, but this web-based program is not about book sales, so I always hesitate to say that. But you might, if, if you don't want to spend money on anything, and that's fine too, you want to hop onto the Lives in the Balance website. I know you've been there already because you sent me the email through the website. Get on that Lives in the Balance website and explore the various and many resources that are on the website to help you understand your daughter as well as possible through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And then identify the specific lagging skills and unsolved problems that are coming into play for your daughter. Um, and uh, you'll do that by going to the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website, printing out a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And you want to be as specific as possible about what unsolved problems now, here's the words you're using. She's a really good girl unless I ask her to do something that she does not want to do. Whatever it is that you're asking her that she does not want to do is an unsolved problem. Your goal is to organize the effort and figure out what those unsolved problems are. I'm betting your daughter does some things that she's told to do sometimes. Why isn't she doing what she's told on the things on which she's not doing what she's told? That's the million-dollar question. Then, well, here's the next line of your email. When we try to discipline her for disrespect or defiance, it does not, to, it does not seem to sink in. Sink in. That's because she's not being disrespectful and defiant. It's not the way I would describe it. Um, I would describe it as a kid who's having demands placed upon her that she's having difficulty responding to in an adaptive fashion because she's lacking crucial cognitive skills. I would also say that that's occurring under highly predictable conditions that are called unsolved problems. She does, so sh she does show some remorse. Good, but that's not going to last forever especially if we keep locking her in her room, and especially if we keep viewing her through lenses of disrespect and defiance. She screams and cries. Well, believe it or not, that's actually at the mild end of the spectrum of looking bad, things challenging kids do when they're looking bad. Uh, she may be doing things worse than screaming and crying if we don't start viewing her through the right lenses and start solving the problems collaboratively that are setting her off. 
we have resorted to providing a safe room where the door locks and she can't crawl out the window. Now that's not gonna that's not gonna solve any problems or teach any skills. We need to know exactly what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion uh, this child's unsolved problems, this child's challenging episodes. And um, then we need to start solving them. Locking her in her room when she's looking bad is not going to accomplish the mission. Yes, I, I do hear it all the time. And I don't hear about it working much. Why would it work? Uh, it's not accomplishing the mission. Uh, email from a uh, one of our listeners. Now, I'd like to ask this listener, who I now know is listening, to try to call into the radio program. I have a feeling, because my dashboard, my uh, switchboard on this radio program is telling me that the show hasn't even started yet. If the show hasn't even started yet, then it might be impossible for people to call in. So I'd like to ask our emailer, whose email I'm about to read, if uh, she wouldn't mind trying to call into the program, 347-994-2981, and then I'll know if calls are getting through the switchboard. But here's the email. Do you go around saying that a kid has a reading problem, difficulty in math? Do you go around repeating these lagging skills? Nope. You find the right help. If a kid has trouble seeing distances, you take the child to the person who can get them lenses that will help them see better. You have to view, this is not me talking, challenging behavior through the prism of lagging skills. And when you do that, it becomes clear why locking a kid in their room wouldn't work. We wouldn't treat any other learning disability or any other developmental delay that way. Not difficulty seeing, not difficulty hearing, not difficulty reading, not difficulty speaking, not difficulty understanding what is being said. We don't lock kids in their rooms for that stuff, and we shouldn't be locking kids in their rooms because they are lacking skills in the domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, and problem solving. I hope that answer helps. You've got an entire website that will help you not only understand your challenging daughter better, but also help you identify the specific conditions in which she is exhibiting challenging episodes. And then there's a whole section to help you solve problems collaboratively with your daughter. And I hope you'll email back at some point along the way and let us know how it's going. Now here's an email from a mom who um from a mom who has previously called in and I had recommended that she make a list of unsolved problems, just as I recommended for the uh email just prior to this. And um she did it and she emailed back, which is outstanding. She's saying, my husband and I developed our list of lagging skills and unsolved problems for our five-year-old son, individually and together. The list feels almost overwhelming. Uh, 
Right. I know. But um, we've tried prioritizing the ones that we can start on first. Well, that's the way. That's that's exactly right. That's the way it's done. Um, you're gonna. This is the interesting thing. The unsolved problems do pile up over time when they are still unsolved, and um, it's going to be overwhelming in the beginning when you realize just how many problems have piled up over time. How do you become less overwhelmed? You say to yourself, okay, you know what? It took a while for these unsolved problems to get piled up, and it's going to take a while for us to solve them. Let's get this show on the road. Because if three, six, nine months from now we're still not solving any of the problems, then the pile has probably simply grown. That's what happens when you're not solving problems. The pile gets bigger. So here's... The unsolved problems, uh, sibling interactions. I'd want to be, but by the way, I'd want to be more specific about that. Uh, when are we having trouble with sibling interactions? Is, is there more than one sibling? Is there a sibling in particular? Under what conditions are sibling interactions a problem? When watching TV together because we're fighting over the clicker? When we are um, sharing toys? When we are, I don't know when. Sibling interactions wouldn't be specific enough. Bedtime and morning routines, especially because of his dislike for teeth brushing. Well, now you'll have to decide. Is teeth brushing the unsolved problem you want to start working on or bedtime and morning routines? I like the specificity of teeth brushing. Visiting doctors. I'd want to see if we could be more specific about that. Isn't this interesting? Uh, the email that I'm receiving from the person who tried to call into the show is asking me if I want her to stay on or hang up. Feel free to hang up. I'm just letting you know that according to my switchboard, I have no callers. So um, apparently we are having technical difficulties, and I had the exact same technical problem with the program yesterday. Uh, so if, you're, if you've called into the program and you're waiting for me to uh, answer your call, uh, I'm not showing any callers on my switchboard, so I can't uh, bring you on the air. And I will get in touch with Block Talk Radio and find out why that's happening, um, because one of the ideal features of this program, and of course we'll have to get this fixed before we have our parents' panel next week, because the parents' panel calls into the show, and if they can't call in, then there won't be a parents' panel. So I don't have the slightest idea what's going on here, but uh, we seem to be having more than our share of technical difficulties with the program these days. Let's see if I can get them fixed. So um, you probably don't want to call into the program today. If you have called in and you've been waiting, I apologize. You're not showing up on my switchboard. Ah. Well, we've, okay, you know what? We've got some other good emails to answer. We're just not going to have any phone calls today. Uh, here, I'm going back to this mom's list of unsolved problems. Not staying close to his father or I. I'd want to be very specific about the conditions in which that is happening. Parking lot at the uh, grocery store. Um, when in attendance at a sporting event. Want to be specific. It's crucial. Food quantities, preferences, timing. Want to be specific about those two. Now the mom goes on. All of these problems are related to his father and I. They don't occur at daycare or at school. Okay, that, that's that's you know what? That's a good thing. That means um, there aren't that the pile of unsolved problems is 
While it may be overwhelming at home, at least there's not a pile outside of the home. Good, I'll take it. Uh, what does he do on the spectrum of looking bad? Uh, hitter, biter, scratcher, kicker, screamer, crier, clinger, thrower, name caller, and brother inciter. All right. That's the least important part. I mean, that's the part that most people pay the most attention to, but it's the least important part. Um, let me go through the rest of this email. We have taken a couple of runs at Plan B. I hope it was proactive, Plan B. But we've had a hard time dropping Plan A while we learn this new language. Well, that's exactly right. That's right. Um, you'll have to practice it. It's a new skill. And, and it's going to take some time. Let's go on. We found out that at least in part he is struggling with... Oh, good. So we did get some information here uh, during the empathy step of Plan B. We found out at least in part that he's struggling with bedtime and mornings because he doesn't want to brush his teeth. I probably wouldn't phrase it that way, but that's okay. He said he doesn't like spitting. We've dropped the toothpaste and still have trouble getting him to brush his teeth with just water and swallow, not spit. He also said he wants to do the things that he likes first, as he's worried he's going to miss out on stories, which happens when it takes 45-plus minutes to get his teeth brushed, face washed, and jammies on. I don't blame him. I like to do the things I like first, too. The big question is, do you want to deprive yourself of um, quality time with your son in the form of book reading, just because the teeth brushing problem isn't solved yet, and will depriving him and you, and you, of book time at bedtime solve the teeth brushing problem? No, it will not. Ah, more in this email. You can tell I didn't read it all the way through before we started here. In a good but emergency plan B talk about his three-year-old brother, we learned that our five-year-old son feels that they fight because of retaliation. One does something and the other does something back. Good information. A need for more privacy and personal space. Great information. Competing for resources. One in the same toys, books, parent. And, well, there's three unsolved problems right there. See, what happens often when you are... Um, solving problems is that you find out that one unsolved problem really translates into two or three more specific ones. There's some more specific ones. Now, of course, I'm glad for the information, but this is predictable advice coming from me. You're going to be a lot better off doing this proactively and this mom is saying that was enough for him to talk about on that day and we haven't gotten to the define the problem step or invitation steps yet um just sorting through this email here so and this is the question that i wanted to answer from this email so while we try to work through one problem or another how do we deal with the violent and angry outbursts that are still occurring related to something we're not focusing on at the time I've noticed that he's one of the kids who you describe as exploding more easily if he's touched. Timeouts have always been a nightmare for us. Still, it's hard for us to let him stick out his tongue, call people names, or hurt one of us. Sometimes we have all the energy and patience to stick to emergency plan B when this happens. Sometimes it feels so personal, hurtful, and intentional, we get sucked right into a battle of wills. This seldom ends well. Well, my main take on the email is that 
the whole use of Plan B is far too emergent at the moment. And yes, there is this ragged period where while you're beginning to work on some unsolved problems, others are still coming up. Now, one thing you can do with the others that are still coming up is Plan C. You can find some way to manage the environment in a way that the unsolved problems that you're putting in Plan C don't come up in the first place. That's one option and a good one because you can't work on really more than two or three unsolved problems at once. But the two or three unsolved problems you're working on, you don't want to try to be working on them in emergency plan B because the pro whole process is going to be much slower when you're doing plan B under non-optimal circumstances. You want to, I'm glad you've made your list of unsolved problems. Now I'm just tuning it up a little bit. Want to be more specific. You and your husband want to decide which ones you're working on right now. And then you want to have planned discussions with your son proactively. Uh, and then you're going to start knocking off one unsolved problem at a time. And yes, there's going to be a ragged period where some unsolved problems are still popping up, even though you've put a lot of them in Plan C and are working on the ones that you've put into Plan B. It's going to be ragged. I hope you hang in there because... Your other options aren't so great. And yes, is it easy to take a kid um, uh, sticking out his tongue, calling people names or hurting one of us? No. I do find that those things usually occur in response to plan A, not plan B or plan C. You want to be proactive about all this Emergency plan B is far less productive. I'm, I'm delighted that you got some good information from your son in emergency plan B, but I am also, and, and truth is the empathy step, even when you're using proactive plan B, can take a while. But let's do this proactively. It's going to be far more productive for you. And please email back and let me know how things are going. Here's another one. I'm going to get through, I don't know, I've printed out uh, five of them today. I think we might get through all five. Problem is I get more than five a week. I get way more than five a week. Some I respond to by email and some I respond to. I'm getting an email from somebody saying that they did try calling in. I'm really sorry that's not working today. I do not understand why. But you know what? Let's, um, let me read your email here. Since uh, we're, we give callers top priority and, and you have re in a very resourceful way emailed instead. All right, uh, let's read this one first, then I'll get to the others. Um, I need help drilling. Uh, one of my daughters responds well to patience and drilling for information, but the other responds with circumlocutions. Circle time is hard. It's boring. It's hard. I try and break down circle time for her and ask about each moment individually to no avail. The teacher, my daughter, that daughter's teacher, is not on board with collaborative problem solving. and just tells her to be more positive. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's fascinating. 
telling a kid to be more positive about a problem that she's having trouble solving. Ah, don't do that. I asked the teacher for insights without any real success. I want to help with this unsolved problem, but felt I haven't gotten to the heart of it yet. Help. So here's one issue. Thank you for emailing, and thank you for being resourceful, and thank you for your patience with this technical issue that I do not understand. Yeah, still broken. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm glad that the program is still being uh, broadcast. That's good. Um, boy, you know what we're looking for here is information about why your daughter isn't a big fan of circle time. And what you're getting is some information. It's hard. It's boring. We need information about what's hard, what's boring. Um, we can ask about whether circle time is always hard and boring or sometimes hard and boring. If it's only sometimes hard and boring, we can ask about the specific conditions in which circle time is sometimes hard and boring. At least we got hard and boring. That's a little bit better than silence and I don't know. It's just that we haven't moved off. It's hard, it's boring. So one strategy is to ask about conditions. Another strategy is to... I don't know, maybe, and I know that the teacher's not on board with CPS, but she may not even know what CPS is. Um, I wonder if if it's appropriate, if your daughter would be amenable to it, if you want to see if there's a way to sit down with the teacher who has much more information about what goes on in circle time than you might. This is the hard part about doing collaborative problem solving at home over something that's going on at school. It's hard because... If you get no information whatsoever in the empathy step or are having trouble moving past it's hard, it's boring, then your last resort is to do some educated guessing or some hypothesis testing, and that's hard to when you're not the one who's at school when the problem is occurring. So one strategy, obviously educated guessing and uh, hypothesis testing is a strategy to figure out what's the difficulty with circle time. And, and, you know, we might need to break circle time into its component parts. Sounds like you've done that, but to no avail. But the teacher may be in a better position to name the specific components of circle time than you might, um, mom or dad, I can't quite tell which. I wonder if it would make sense to get together with the teacher. That, that might be a completely horrendous idea if the teacher's not on board with CPS, but maybe that conversation would help the teacher get on board with CPS. Now it comes down to the specifics of your situation, which I do not know, um, so I may not be able to take you much further than that. But you know, educated guessing and hypothesis testing is, is a good option if you're able to get absolutely nothing beyond it's boring, it's hard, or beyond I don't know, or silence. But I'm just thinking the teacher may have more information about what goes on during circle time than you do. Uh, let me know what happens. Keep me posted. I like to stay posted. Here's this email that I was going to read before the person who called in. Called in. Uh, seven-year-old boy. Um, mom's been reading The Explosive Child, or grandmom, grandma. Um, 
wants to know how to get her seven-year-old grandson, who is very bright but doesn't know why he gets so upset. I have a hard time asking him the right questions to help him. He doesn't know why this is happening. Thank you for caring about these children. You're welcome. Well, you don't want to ask him why he's upset. It's too vague. And you certainly don't want to ask him why he's too upset, why he's upset uh, when he's upset. But whether you're asking him why he's upset proactively or emergently, I don't think you're going to get the information you're looking for. You, you want to do what I mentioned to our first caller, to, to our first email today, and what I what we talked about with regard to the second emailer who actually had made a list of unsolved problems. You, you don't want to do Plan B with so, something so vague as why are you upset. Um, Plan B collaborative problem solving starts with these specific conditions in which your grandson is becoming upset, picking a few of them to talk with him about, talking with him about them proactively, and asking him, often using the following words. Many people have trouble with the words, but the words are pretty straightforward once you get used to them. I've noticed that and now you are saying, I've noticed that you got very upset when, and now you're naming an unsolved problem, when the restaurant didn't have the food you wanted, when you didn't like the music that I was listening to in the car, when your team lost the soccer game, when, you get the idea, your brother wanted to play with the toy that you were playing with, when your brother was sitting on my lap and you wanted to. Those are all highly specific unsolved problems. And then at the end of the empathy step, or the, the end of this initial part of the empathy step, you're inquiring about the kid's concern or perspective on that unsolved problem, usually by asking the question, what's up? So, Grandma, number one, good for you for trying to be there for your seven-year-old grandson. Good for you. Good for you for doing whatever you can to help him. Good for you for trying to learn as much about the collaborative problem-solving approach as you can. Keep reading. Keep reading. The, the language of this model is all contained in The Explosive Child and all contained on the Lives in the Balance website. So you've got lots of resources available to you. But it all begins with... Um, refining the issue of your grandson being upset and defining it in terms of specific unsolved problems, these specific things he's getting upset about, these specific conditions in which he's getting upset, and then trying to solve those problems with him collaboratively. One of our emailers is writing and commenting, when you take your child to the pediatrician for a particular symptom, the doctor narrows down the possibilities so to figure out whether your kid needs an antibiotic and which one, what would help. The doctor doesn't just randomly order medicine. They need specific information so as to decide which information to select. And the doctor prioritizes the most important problems to treat. It's called, well, in emergency rooms, it's called triage. Figuring out which kids need our help the most, making sure they get that help, and within each kid, deciding 
which unsolved problems are getting in their way, which ones you're going to work on first. You get the idea. All right, another email. I'm a little worried that I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to save that one. Well, let's see. Dr. Green, my wife and I are just getting acquainted with your program and are having trouble finding information relating to toddlers. We are struggling with a three-and-a-half-year-old girl who is mainly struggling with a very low frustration tolerance. I should mention that our daughter was born with a congenital defect, and we know that behavioral problems are common with these kids. Help. I wouldn't focus on the fact that she's three-and-a-half or a toddler. Because I work with 17-year-old kids who um, have a harder time participating in collaborative problem-solving than a lot of the three-and-a-half-year-olds that I work with. And I work with lots of people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s who have more trouble participating in collaborative problem-solving than many of the three-and-a-half-year-olds that I work with. So the big question is whether your three-and-a-half-year-old daughter um, has what are primarily communication skills, quite frankly, to participate in Plan B. So that she's three and a half wouldn't stop me and may not be the most important piece of information. I don't know what congenital defect she was born with. Um, that wouldn't stop me either. If that congenital defect... Um, confers lagging skills, and I'm betting it does, then I'd think more about the lagging skills and how those lagging skills set the stage for specific unsolved problems than I would be thinking about the congenital defect and its impact on her behavior. Congenital defect may not tell us much. Lagging skills that might flow from that congenital defect would tell us quite a bit. So I think, you know, I don't know what congenital defect you're talking about, but as it relates to your daughter's behavior, I might well be interested in shifting off of that more global issue, congenital defect. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just saying that it might be more productive to view your daughter through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems, because I don't know if you're going to be able to do anything about her congenital defect, but I bet you will be able to do something about the unsolved problems that are frustrating her and the lagging skills that are making those unsolved problems so frustrating for her in the first place. I hope that helps. We do have time. Uh, we have another email from another person who is saying, I'm on uh, somebody who I think was trying to get through. You know, I'm going to take this one and save this other one for next week. Um, and I email people to let them know that I'm going to be talking about their email on today's call. Um, so I apologize to the mom with the eight-year-old daughter whose behavior is unbearable. I promise we will do your email first next week. Although it's the parents' panel, I think we'll do it next week. Hi, Dr. Green. I'm, I'm also unable to uh, get myself on the call, but I wanted to bounce a question to you. My 
Son will be seven in two weeks. By the way, I've not read this email before, but here we go. Uh, this is an adventure, this program. He's always been a very explosive child. We've had him evaluated by a child psychologist this summer. The evaluation took over eight hours, and we've since started him on a very low dose of Ritalin due to increasing impulsiveness, for example, climbing out of second-story windows, and family disruption. We have a four-year-old son and ten-year-old daughter, and the seven-year-old seems to derive great pleasure out of invading their space, driving them crazy, especially when they're having their turn in a game or a Wii, after he's had his fair share of those games. Uh, I've attempted collaborative problem-solving yesterday after he came home from school, and... Uh, I can't quite understand this. He ran right out the door without his coat on and started throwing rocks. Of course, it started as Plan A. Ah, so we weren't doing Plan B yet. Uh, he st- if you don't stop throwing those rocks, you'll have to come in, in which this rare occasion worked. However, the last thing he needs is to lose outside time. Uh, then I, after I made them snacks and came out with them, I began my attempt at Plan B. Son, I've noticed as soon as you get outside, you like to throw heavy rocks. Does this feel good to your arm to do this? Now, I I would call that leading the witness. So so what this um, mom is saying is that she's attempting plan B. Believe it or not, I would still call it emergency plan B because he's only recently stopped throwing the rocks. But then you're asking him if it feels good to his arm to do this. And I think I'd want to just ask what's up. Son's response, no, I just wanted to see if they will go farther than the football. Mom, oh, I see. Well, my concern is that someone will get hurt or something could get broken. Why don't we use all the different types of balls we have and see how far they can all go? Him, okay, and he walked away. Mom is asking, what do you think? I'm sure I left a bunch of key elements out. You did, but not that many. But here's my take on it. If it's if it occurred exactly as you described it, I think that I don't want to do this emergently. And I would still say this was emergently. He's outside in proximity to the heavy rock that he was just throwing. I would not call that proactive plan B. So I, I would want to do this at another time. Secondly, believe it or not, I'd want to organize this effort because you don't want to be like a ping pong ball, bouncing from one emergent unsolved problem to another just as they're popping up. You really do want to make your list of unsolved problems. You want to go to the Lives in the Balance website. You want to go to the paperwork section. You want to download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You want to identify these specific unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes for your son. And then you want to pick which ones you want to start working on first. It seems to me that this probably could be a high-priority unsolved problem, but you don't want to you don't want to respond to it emergently when you're seeing it happen. All right, now... That's proactive versus emergent. Uh, But now the rest. Um, I think we abandoned the empathy step way prematurely. When he said, no, I just want to see if they will go farther than the football, I'd want to spend a lot more time drilling for information on that to find out if there's anything else coming into play. And I wouldn't lead the witness. I would simply ask, what's up? I wouldn't wouldn't pose a possibility for why he was throwing the rocks. We, We want to get that from him without leading him on. Then, then and only then, we're ready for your concern. I think you had a great concern. You don't want to get somebody to get hurt or get something broken. And then you abandon collaborative problem solving. You did not invite him to solve the problem with you. 
and it feels to me like you got a perfunctory okay, and I don't think that problem is solved yet. All the more reason to be doing this proactively. All the more reason to do this in conditions in which uh, you've got his attention, you're not outside near big rocks, but we really want him thinking about this problem. And what I find is that when adults tell kids what the solution is, the kid isn't doing any thinking. He's just saying, okay, and walking off. And that problem is not solved. And I thank you for your patience with our technical issue today. I appreciate you calling in anyways, and I'm sorry to report that that's going to do it for us today. Parent panel next Tuesday. I'm going to try to get this uh, technical problem fixed before then, or there's not going to be a parent's panel. Thanks to all of those of you who emailed in today. Hope the program was helpful. Look forward to getting together with you next week. Thank you.